when I was a freshman at Central Michigan University, uh, I remember coming for orientation. At, at orientation, they line you all up and they talk about all the things you're going to learn while you're going through college, uh, ways that you're going to unlearn things that you picked up in high school, and, uh, and all the different activities you can get involved in. I remember there was one point during orientation where you could sign up on a sheet and let them know if you wanted to get information about Christian organizations that were on campus. Uh, and so I was part of a great youth group in high school. I knew that that was something I wanted to do. And so I put my name on the list uh, and sent it out and kind of forgot about it until my first week in college where they knocked on my door in my dorm room and said, hey, we're from His House Christian Fellowship. Uh, we saw that you were interested. Uh, and I got connected to a community uh, of men and women who were trying to figure out what it meant to follow Christ in college. Um, and it completely, I think, changed the trajectory of my life. In fact, I look at uh, the relationships that we have here as part of Unite, uh, which is our college and adult ministry, and the, the friendships, the bonds that are there, the way that they grow. Uh, and it reminds me of what I experienced in college. Uh, but it didn't take long. I signed up for the worship team, and one of the seniors, uh, a guy named Adam, uh, said, hey, let's, let's grab lunch. Uh, and it might have just been because I had access to an all-you-can-eat buffet in the dining commons and uh, guest passes to spare. Uh, but we met up over lunch, um, and weekly uh, we would connect. And it wasn't just like surface conversations. Uh, it wasn't just like, hey, this is what I want you to do. Um, he would ask me questions about what God was teaching me. Uh, he would open up his Bible and say, this is what God is showing me, and he'd have highlights and marks that were all in there. Um, it would even be things like, how's your relationship going with my then-girlfriend, now-wife? Uh, and some uncomfortable questions about purity and uh, how we were doing in our relationship. Um, but I think back on that period now, and I realize that Adam was discipling me. He was teaching me what it meant to follow Jesus. And in the years that have, have followed since, I have uh, I've been in ministry for over a decade. Uh, I've built programs. I've recruited volunteers. I have degrees from seminary. And I still think of Adam as a spiritual giant. Uh, this series that we're kicking off this Sunday is all about discipleship. And discipleship will simply call, what does it mean to look and think and act more like Jesus? And a lot of these things we're learning, uh, it's kind of like elementary school, where you're going over some principles of what it means to uh, follow Jesus. And so our hope is over these uh, upcoming weeks, uh, especially as we're coming out of a series in Proverbs all about the way of wisdom, uh, is that these would be some principles, some, some aspects of what it means to, to follow Christ better. Uh, that you'll be able to apply and, and, and use in your life. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, the time that the Bible was written, um, a disciple was the follower of a teacher. And that wasn't a follower, maybe a, a teacher-student relationship like we think of now in our, uh, in our school systems. Um, they would uh, learn what it meant to actively follow those disciples. In fact, there's stories of disciples following their teacher uh, not just in their learning environments, but in their homes, uh, sitting outside their doors, like seeing how they engage with their uh, spouse. There, there was this, this sense of by being a disciple, you would imitate and eventually look like and think and teach uh, just like the master. It was a deliberate apprenticeship uh, where the fully formed disciple became a living copy of their master. 
And so here at Community Church, intentional discipleship is one of our core values. It's up on the wall in the hallway. And I love that word intentional because intentional means that discipleship wouldn't happen here by accident. That it wouldn't be a, uh, you know, a secondary byproduct. Uh, that as a result of being part of the church, that as being part of this body of Christ, you would learn from other believers what it means to look and think and act more like Christ. And fortunately, I could share many stories uh, over the years of times that we got this right, of times that people have walked through these doors, maybe from a place of being far from God, and as a result of being here, they've grown up into the image of what it means to be a mature Christian. Uh, there have been men and women that have uh, gone on to lead and disciple, and people have been discipled and then become a discipler of others. But unfortunately, if I'm honest, uh, there have been times that, that we've failed. Uh, in fact, if you don't just look at our church, but you look at the capital C church, the church collectively in the United States, uh, there have been times that people have walked through the doors of our buildings and gotten an incomplete view of what it means to love and follow Christ. They've gained an inaccurate view of being a Christian as simply going to church uh, or objectively believing in God. And so from one of the pastors, our hope is that you would experience the life-changing message of the gospel in such a way that it would transform you into the image of Christ. Because anything less than that is less than what God desires for you. And our hope is that here in the context of community church, that you would be encouraged in this process by being part of this community. Now, Jesus ultimately called his followers to be learners and to learn to be who it is that he is. And that's more about just information. Uh, the word that I think of when it comes to discipleship is imitation. In Matthew 28, uh, you know, an often uh, quoted verse, um, Jesus is giving his marching orders. He's resurrected from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples. He's been with them for a number of days, and he is preparing uh, to return to heaven. And so these are his, his last words on earth. It's worth us like leaning in and, and, and listening to these words. And he says to them, uh, starting in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus' final command to us is, therefore, go and... He doesn't say build church buildings. He doesn't say plan events where people can come. He says, go and make disciples. So my challenge for you, as we get into this, this entire series on discipleship, is to say, uh, many of you may have been going to church ritually for your entire life. In fact, more Sundays than you could ever count before. Uh, many of you may know how to build programs. Many of you may know how to serve and volunteer on teams and, you know, do a lot of the functions that, that are part of the church body. Uh, many of you may even lead the organization. But are you equipped to make disciples? Do you have the capacity to teach someone how to be an imitator of Christ? Uh, and 
just a, a way of, of honesty, I think all of us have room to grow in this area, but this series is meant to equip you. This would be a series that, that will teach you how to teach someone else. That this wouldn't just be some good information that you apply to your life. This would be something that you are able to uh, take to other people. Because we can be really good at the whole American church thing. The whole uh, idea of coming together and, and gathering, especially when we were able to gather together. Uh, but disciples are all that Jesus cares about. And so just by way of, of me processing as I've been thinking about this message, are we uh, all about getting people together each, each week for church? Or do we see the lives of our people looking like the lives of the people that followed Christ in the Gospels? Are we good about getting people into groups and small communities? Or are we actually producing the types of people we read about in the New Testament? Uh, it's vital to have right information about Jesus that is forming and shaping us, but we also must have models, leaders that we imitate. Uh, people who, uh, that their lives look like Jesus in such a way that the best thing that we can do is imitate them. Uh, I've been around community church for a growing number of years now. In fact, I just celebrated my 10-year anniversary on staff. And I remember when our family first started attending uh, the lead pastor at that time was a guy named Scott McKee, and he was a fantastic uh, speaker, uh, preacher, fantastic leader. Uh, and it was so funny that during the time that he was the lead guy, uh, the other staff, the other preachers, the assistant pastors, they all seemed to have a similar way of, of speaking, of preaching. In fact, you'd see another pastor that's up there at the time, and you'd say, he said that just like Scott would have said it. Uh, and they were, they were imitating the leader. Uh, I got hired on when Brian Lemieux was the lead guy, and I remember there are certain things that I would say, and other leaders at that time that were coming on would say when they're preaching that were a direct result of us saying things similar to the person that we were following. Um, and I don't quite have an Irish accent yet, but even since Pastor Wally and Pastor Allen have been here, there are certain ways that we talk about uh, faith, about discipleship, about the Bible that is directly influenced by uh, the people that we are following. And I think that's, a, that's actually a good thing, right? In church, an organization or a group, people begin to look like the leader. They imitate that person. Uh, and in fact, I think where we can see in the church ways that someone that is ahead of us, someone that we look forward to, looks like Jesus in a certain way, we say, okay, I'm going to take that characteristic onto myself. In this way, you look like Christ, and so I'm going to try to imitate that. In, in this thing that you did that reminded me of what Christ would do, I'm going to try to imitate that. That is what we're called to in the church. Uh, over the last number of years, uh, I've had the privilege of being able to recruit uh, a number of group leaders, so people that are, are coming in and leading our community groups, which would be one of the primary environments that we just say discipleship happens here at Community Church. Uh, and often their biggest fear when I'm talking to a new leader is saying, I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I have all the answers. I don't feel like I, you know, if someone asked this question, I would have no idea how to respond. Uh, and I always have this comforting tone saying, everyone feels like that in different circumstances. Uh, there's a great line that talks about how all leaders look like shepherds from behind to the people they're leading and sheep from the front. 
that we should all be continually learning. We should all be continually following people that are more mature than us or people that, we are, uh, in, that are in leadership over us. But we are always having influence behind us for those who would follow. And so my call to you, even if you aren't a group leader here in our church, is that you have influence. People are looking to you, especially if you carry the title of Christian, to say, what does it mean to follow Christ? Uh, you think about in our culture, what is the impact when we as Christians are authentically living our lives in a way that imitates Christ? I think even in the, the context of our current national conversation, the context of our, our social media conversations, am I emulating Christ in the way that I speak, in the way that I engage? And I don't mean that as a way of guilt. I mean that as a way of encouragement to say, are we uh, leveraging our relationships and our friendships to say, hey, there is one thing of, of utmost importance, and that Jesus is, is the sole desire for those of us that follow him. And so the call is for mature Christians to offer their lives not as a perfect example, because we're still going to make mistakes. There are going to still be times where we, our flesh gets in the way of what we're, we're intending to do. We offer our lives not as a perfect example, but as a living example. And I, I think that that is the best that we are able to offer to other people. Uh, and the reminder that I feel like is out there is that people don't need a disciple that you can tell them about. They need you. They are looking to you to say, what does it mean to follow Christ? And so this series, Elementary, is what does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, what is it that we do here at Community Church? We talk about our strategy being that we gather together, we grow in groups, and we go live it out. And all of that is intended to be in the process of creating disciples. Now, much of the next several weeks, uh, are, in fact, our discipleship process uh, here at Community Church um, is gleaned from a lot of incredible leaders that have written on a lot of different subjects. And so I want to give a nod right now. Um, these uh, principles we're going to be covering these next several weeks um, come from a, a man named Mike Breen. And in fact, if you are listening to this and thinking, I, I want more, I want to see more of the information that's out there, uh, he wrote an incredible book called Building a Discipleship Culture. Um, that we have pulled lots of information from. Um, and then another nod on our website at mpcc.org slash discipleship. Um, you can find uh, all the content that we're covering over this series and more. Uh, in fact, that's a resource that we provide to group leaders as they are actively trying to disciple those in their groups. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to lean into that. Mike Breen has this quote, though, uh, that I absolutely love when it comes to discipleship. He says, you can build a church and not necessarily have disciples. But if you make disciples, you will always have the church. So you can build a building in the United States. Uh, you can have some great worship, and we have some great worship here. You can have, uh, you know, talented speakers. You can have a sense of community. And that doesn't automatically, intrinsically mean that you will have disciples. That doesn't automatically, that the people that are sitting in those seats will look and think and act more like Christ. But if a church focuses on its primary responsibility of building disciples, of making disciples, you will always end up with the church. The church in the biblical sense of being the people of God on mission 
for Christ. Discipleship is incredibly important. And so one of our goals through this series is that you would build up a a common language, a a common way that here at Community Church we talk about discipleship. Because this is not the be-all, end-all. In fact, if you go Google discipleship and resources, you're going to find more than you can imagine, different ideas that are out there. Uh, But I think that there is power when we can have a shared way of talking about uh, many of these principles. And these principles are broken into very simple things to remember, shapes. And so you may have been in a community group over the last number of years and heard some of these. And if so, it's going to reaffirm, maybe remind you, bring it back out. Uh, This series is going to be helpful to you if you've been following Jesus a long time. Uh, In fact, I can't tell you how often I'm sitting across from someone at a coffee shop and what they're describing to me. I'm like, you know, this is exactly like this thing that we're going to talk about. Um, If you are a brand new believer and maybe you just logged on, since this, since this whole uh, isolation thing has been happening, uh, you're new to the church, you're new to even thinking about what it means to, to know Jesus, to be a Christian, uh, this series is going to give you some incredible tools that are going to equip you uh, to take some, some strong ground in your walk of faith. And I've just been thinking as we've been preparing that walking through what we're walking through in 2020 where every couple weeks there seems to be some new national uh, tragedy or conversation or thing that's happening that's, that's causing everyone to get off the rails. Uh, my heart is I don't need to try to formulate my opinion about a particular topic. My desire is to get God's opinion on that topic, to discern what is it that God would say, uh, to have the mind of Christ. And our hope is through this series that you will gain Uh, some skills to be able to do that more effectively. And so today, uh, we're going to cover our first principle. And to get us into this idea, uh, I want to share a story. Uh, There was a guy uh, during the last century, the 20th century, um, named Monty Roberts. And Monty Roberts spent his youth on the prairies of the United States, a place where wild horses still roamed. And he uh, experienced his father who would train these horses. And the method at the time uh, is they would put a stake in the ground. They would chain uh, this wild horse to that stake. Um, and they would take blankets. And his dad, he would watch his dad take blankets and scare the horse. And the, the horse would try to run away, know it's on a chain. It would get yanked back. And this process would continue again and again and again until the spirit of the horse was broken. And it was a long, painful process. It was an abusive process. Uh, but eventually, it broke the horse's spirit, and they'd be able to put a saddle on it and ride it. And so Monty said, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to do this. And so he set out for the prairies. And he watched these wild horses interacting. Uh, and he tells a story of uh, a time that he watched this lead mare of a herd. Um, and a young stallion approaching, trying to join the herd. And the lead mare would turn towards the young stallion that was new. Uh, it would flatten it, the, the mare would flatten her ears. She would look him straight in the eyes. And the young stallion would stop because it was a sign of challenge to that horse. And then slowly the, the mare would turn and she would turn her flank towards the horse, which in the prairies, that's the part that would be attacked by predators. And so it was a sign of vulnerability a sign of invitation to that young stallion. The young stallion would begin to inch closer to the mare. And then the mare would turn again and flatten her ears and offer challenge. The horse would stop. 
And it was this strange dance that continued until this moment where eventually the young stallion and the lead mare would touch. And he coined the phrase, meet up. Uh, And it was this beautiful dance. And from that point of contact, that young stallion was part of the family. It belonged to the herd. Now think of that illustration. Monty uh, pulled that, and now, later in life, he can train the most abused horse in a manner of minutes using these same principles. Now take a step back and think about what Jesus was able to accomplish in simply three years of public ministry. He took a group of men who he discipled, most of whom we never would have picked for the the team. He taught them to do and be like him so that when they were released, that small group of guys would change the course of human history. In fact, you and I are sitting here listening to this message as a result of them caring for the message of Christ. How was Jesus able to do that in a way that didn't send them running for the hills? How do you do it in a way that didn't completely overwhelm them? Uh, and I think that there's, there's a truth here that Jesus was the ultimate horse whisperer, uh, except not with horses, right? He was the ultimate horse whisperer with people. He was a, a people whisperer, you could say. A great example of this is in Matthew 16. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to this. Jesus is asking his disciples, um, who do people say that I am? And at this point, He's starting to get a following. People are, are uh, watching what he's doing. Uh, he's, he has a reputation, but people still aren't completely sure who is this guy, Jesus. And Simon Peter in verse 16 is the first person to speak up. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. He gives him a new name here. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, in this moment, Jesus is affirming Peter. Uh, He's drawing him closer. Uh, He gives him the name Peter, which is translated as little rock. And other points in the gospel, Jesus refers to himself as the big rock. And so you got little rock, you got big rock. There's this covenantal identity that he's giving to Peter. The same connection that Jesus has with the Father. He says, Peter, you have that sense of connection. He offers him authority. He offers him power. He offers him deeper relationship. What an amazing moment for Peter. But a few verses later, the very next, next account here in, the, in this book of the Bible, Peter takes Jesus aside, and Peter, probably riding on this sense of saying, I have this shared identity with Jesus, he strongly suggests to Jesus that Jesus should stop talking about how he is going to die in Jerusalem, because it just seems rude, right? And, and, and Peter gets massively challenged. Jesus, in verse 23, he turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Going from being called my little rock to Satan is quite the the whiplash effect here. But time and time again in the gospel, Jesus is functioning as a classic horse whisperer. 
He's giving this invitation into intimate relationship with him while directly challenging behaviors that he knew would be wrong or unhealthy or against God's will. And so invitation, as we think of it, is about being invited into a relationship where you have access to a person's life. All the vibrancy, safety, love, encouragement. But by accepting the invitation, in the context of discipleship, you are also accepting the challenge that comes with it. The challenge to live into your identity as a son or daughter of God. So as a church, our heart is that we would build a culture of discipleship here, that we, that we would have to learn how to balance both invitation and challenge appropriately. But it's not easy. In fact, I think most churches, most individuals, would lean one direction or another, you know, more, being more invitational or being more challenging. And so a way of thinking of this, If we were to draw a matrix and put on the two ends, on one, invitation. This idea of the level of uh, welcomeness that we have into a, a community or um, by way of relationship. And the other matrix, we call challenge which is the degree to which we are pushing people um, to greater levels of obedience when it comes to what God commands from us. Um, you can think of this in a number of different ways. In fact, there are several ways that we will utilize this in the, the way that we talk about discipleship. But I want you to think right now by way of culture, uh, by way of collectively, what does a group of people um, uh, have to offer when it comes to these different areas? Uh, let's think of, of each of these categories as, uh, as a place. Uh, if you have low invitations, so you don't have uh, much by way of inviting people in, uh, people may walk in and not feel welcome. Uh, you also have low challenge, you're not really pushing people to anything. Uh, what are some maybe words that you would use to describe that environment? Unexciting? Yeah, there's not much happening disengaged. Yeah, we would say that even in that culture, you might end up with a bored culture. There's not much going on. In fact, if a church happens to have this environment, uh, people don't stick around uh, because I believe God wired us for more. Now, let's go to a, a different category and say, let's say we increase the challenge. We increase the call of what God is calling us to do or be but there's still low invitation. There's not a lot of encouragement. There's not a lot of, hey, we're all in this together. Uh, let's love each other. What do you think exists in this environment? Not encouraging. Not, not encouraging, for sure. Yeah, you think of maybe leaders who aren't gifted in this area and how that can affect uh, a culture. Um, the word that we would use often here is stressed. And often in an environment like this where there's high challenge to do, uh, and accomplish, but there is low encouragement, uh, you see people burn out. This doesn't usually last for very long. Now let's move to the opposite end. 
and think of a place where it's high invitation. There's you walking through the doors and you feel like, man, I am welcome here. I'm loved here. I can come exactly as I am. Uh, but there's not much by way of challenge. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll all, we'll all just kind of continue on that way. How would you describe this environment? Shallow, comfortable. I think comfortable would probably be a, a huge way of that. Uh, I like to use the word cozy. It's a nice, you know, everyone likes being part of it, but you're not actually accomplishing anything. Uh, you're, not, you're not being sharpened or, uh, you know, even everything we're talking about, you're not really encouraged here to look and think and act more like Christ. Now let's get to the promised land, right? This is what we've been talking about. If you have an environment of high invitation, there's a high sense of identity, of belonging, uh, of welcomeness, and you have high challenge, what does that look like? Engaged? Yeah, so people are maybe uh, both feeling encouraged to, to look and think and act more like Jesus, but also feeling like I belong here, that I'm helped in that process. Anything else? Excited. That's, that's something I want to be a part of, right? Especially in a church. This is where Jesus lived. This is where he operated. Uh, this is what we would call a discipleship culture. This is the environment that we hope uh, you find when you walk through the doors of community church. Now, this is a place where every, a group that you would join would have this combination of you are welcome, you belong, you are created in the image of God, you have dignity and value just because you are you. Uh, but also, we're going to push you, we're going to challenge you. We want you to, to conform into the image of Jesus. This is where we want to be. Now, if we were to look at this uh, and maybe assess and ask the question of where do we find ourselves, and not just at community church, but where do we find ourselves in the American church. Would any of you maybe say, where would you maybe put the American church up here? I would agree with you. I think that the American church in many places has gotten to this place of, of being comfortable. And even over the last number of years, we put a lot of thought into very important things about how do we help people get through the doors? How do we, how do we make them feel like they belong here? How do, how do we make this, this, this place feel welcoming? But I think challenge is something that, if I were to give a grade score, we might be lacking in in America. Uh, this is a, a way that we talk about groups here in our church, um, that those circles where uh, there are relationships and discipleship is focused, that there would be this combination here. When, uh, when any of the pastors or other, other teachers are preparing a message, they're thinking about how can I have this combination of invitation and challenge for the sake of the body. This is the culture that we're building. And so some thoughts. Uh, and here I want to maybe shift a little bit away from the corporate sense of church and shift to this idea of individualism. Uh, we send out surveys a lot to people who are brand new to the church. And they'll come in and uh, one of the consistent things that we see from people who are new to community church is it's such a welcoming place. This is a, this is a, I mean, I walked through the doors and the parking crew and the greeters. I just felt like the red carpet was rolled out for me. Uh, and that has been a way that God has blessed uh, this church to bring huge numbers of people uh, to hear the message of the gospel. Praise God for that. Unfortunately, I've seen some people on the other side that, were in, that felt welcome at the beginning will hear something from the word of God or something from a leader in the church 
that will challenge them. And they'll think, oh, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I like that. I, I like the invitation piece. I don't know if I like the challenge. And my, my, I just want to take a moment right here to say it is okay to feel challenged. It's okay, especially if that challenge comes directly from the Word of God. In fact, if there's a moment where you feel like, man, I don't know if I, how I feel about that, uh, don't just reject it and leave and disappear. Our hope is that you would push through it and that you would discern what is God calling me to in this circumstance so that I might look more like Jesus. And if we exist in that place where there's a high level of trust, where we have earned the right to speak into people's lives, that is where we're actually able to accomplish something that Christ is wanting to accomplish. So I want to ask you this morning as we get ready to finish, where do you personally fall on the spectrum? So let's set church aside and instead take on our personal responsibility. Are you naturally high challenge and maybe struggle in the invitation category? I was talking just this week with a leader in the church and was talking about this message I was preparing and he was saying, I am naturally high challenge. In fact, when I was a younger man in my 20s, I had no problem telling someone flat out if they were doing something that was contrary to what God would say that they would do. In fact, I would just kind of let them have it. And there was one instance where this happened and he was walking out the door and his sweet wife said, you know, that whole share the truth in love thing, you could use some love. <laughs> you, could, you could use a little bit more of that love thing. And he's learned to be higher invitation as he's grown as a mature Christian, as, as God has used that in his life. Now, on the other hand, if you are naturally high invitation, and if I were raising my hand, that would be the category I'm in. In fact, I got hired to come on staff in my mid-20s, and I came in, I was excited, um, and I absolutely hated having to bust kids who were doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing, right? They'd say, hey, Aaron, there's some kids smooching in the auditorium again, and I'd be like, oh, I have to go, I have to go call them to account for this. Uh, And it was a growing process where God has allowed me to add more challenge And that's a funny example. There are many examples to say it's not enough to make people feel just loved and being here. I want you to look and act and think more like Jesus by being part of this community. And that is what God wants for you. So as we think by way of discipleship, what is is our personal place to to take? Um, I want to just reiterate that you have influence. That as an image bearer of God, people are looking to you, especially if you would carry that label of Christian, to say, what, what would God say through you? What, what, is it, what looks different about you as a result of knowing Christ? So I want to take a moment right now. If you feel comfortable, would you just close your eyes? And would you ask the question, what is God saying to me right now in light of what I just heard? You know, maybe it is a sense that, you know, I'm naturally a high challenge and I don't know if I do a very good job of making people feel welcome around me. Or on the other hand, maybe you are high invitation and, and you do so much to roll out the red carpet. Your hospitality is, is, you know, you're known for that. But you haven't maybe done enough to think, okay, how am I actually helping people know what it means to follow Jesus? 
Would you ask God right now, God, would you, would you just shine a light on that in my life? Would you show me a step to take this week that can help me grow in this area? Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you are not done with us. We're grateful for the fact that as a church, we can start to walk through a series like this that's an equipping series, something that's meant to help us grow. Um, God, and that you would use it for the purpose of building up your people. You'd use it for the purpose of building up us. Father, I pray that you'd fan the flame of every thought, every step, everything that's come to mind over these last few minutes, that you'd make us a people of incredible invitation into covenant community, but you'd also make us a people that are, that are up to the challenge of pu pushing people to look and think and act more like you. Father, you are our one hope and our one desire, the one thing that we hope to attain. And for that, we're thankful that you make yourself so abundantly available to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Discipleship is vitally important to the life of the church. And over these next few weeks, we hope that you'll stay with us as we go through the series. Thanks so much for being with us today.